Hebrews chapter 10. And begin reading in verse 32. And I'm going to include um, chapter 11, verse 1. There's a, but we'll, we'll be preaching more on that as we get into this great um, faith chapter of Hebrews next time. Before we go to the word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord of his word. Father God, we thank you for our, the word. We thank you for the word spoken. We thank you that you did not just create and leave clues behind, but that you clearly articulated truth. Help us to, to understand that since you spoke, and you spoke through men who were carried along um, by your Holy Spirit, that's trustworthy, that this is your word. So speak to us by your Spirit, even through the word preached. And we pray this, that the hearers would, would give firm attention and that we would all be blessed and leave here more like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For... Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen. The word of the Lord. So as we just look through these, it comes, you know, the, the tale of 19 through 31 in which you're told things is fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That, that in verse 26, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And it goes on, these warnings in Scripture that were telling us not to turn away. Telling this particular church that he's writing to, these things, but then also um, telling this to us today for what held true for them also holds true for us today. And it begins, verse 32, as he's, you know, he comes off the, of saying, you know, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And, and you could rightly be there and just say, this is a terrifying thing. And it, don't leave us hanging like this. And indeed, he goes next and he says, Recall the former days when. Now, it's interesting, in Hebrews 10 32, that um, this is our 80th anniversary today. And it, this would be a good one to pick. I'm not saying God did, well, you know, God arranges all things. Uh, this verse was arranged for us today by the Holy Spirit. You're here because the Holy Spirit 
arranged for you to be here today. This is, this is all part of God's plan and his sovereignty um, in, in, in the way that God is in control of all things, that this is no accident, that, that we are here gathered here today for this particular message. So what does God have to say to, to you and to me? He, he's saying, recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle and sufferings. Now, how is that a message to us necessarily? Because first of all, did we necessarily endure hard struggle and suffering after we were enlightened? Um, or maybe people listening to this haven't been yet enlightened yet. So how is this a message to me? And so what you do with the Word of God is you say, all right, I understand this was written to a particular people at a particular time. It's called the original reading audience. So the original reading audience, there was a message to them. But there's also a message to those who read later. There's a message for us who read today. There will be a message for however long the Lord tarries, this message will carry. And what we make sure we do is we let the rest of the Bible interpret Scripture so we don't just go off on wild rabbit trails and tangents and saying, therefore, this and that and another thing. But if you look at it here, recall the former days when after you were enlightened. And as I'm going through this and I'm thinking, you know, okay, so what, what's this about for us? And I think the first thing that we have to really think about is really, have you been enlightened? Have you been illuminated? And that's what this, this word here actually means. It means to, to have the light put on you. And not in a bad way, where suddenly you're on the spotlight and you run away from it, but the lights come on. You know, the world likes to have this world, you know, they're, you're woke now. You know, but it's, it's it, and they may mean something, that you're woke to something else, but the Bible uses this thing as, you know, the, the lights have come on spiritually. You have been illuminated, and this is something that happens to you. This is not something that you're able to, to do yourself. It's a work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, through however you get the Word of God, be it through some you reading it yourself, other people reading it to you, uh, evangelistic efforts, prayer, all of these things, somehow God got to you and illuminated you. Now, if you're not yet illuminated to these things, uh, we pray that God would, you, by His Spirit, do these things. But we really need to ask ourselves, am I illuminated? Are you illuminated? Or are you just sort of, this all sounds good to me? I, I have certain benefits I get for believing this. And then what if those benefits are taken away, am I still going to believe it? Or will I continue to go through the, the, um, the, the well, what's the word I'm moving? I just continue to go through the motions of, of, of something that's familiar and just keep doing it because there is safety and there is comfort in the familial. In, the, in knowing that something's going to be the same tomorrow as it was yesterday. And it can be horrific for some people if you're going through something terrible. And I tell young people who are going through awful things sometimes, it's like, it will not always be this way. You, you will get on the other side of these things. But decisions you make and things you do can affect how long and what that future looks like. But things will not always be as they are. Now, that's good news, and it can be bad news, depending on how you look at it. But God is unchangeable. He is unchanging. So we have to ask ourselves, am I just 
you know, going to church because this is what I'm supposed to do? Even do I read the Bible because it's something I'm supposed to do? Or is it that I have an actual relationship with God? Do I, am, have I actually been enlightened? Do I actually see? And then what should the believer see? And we're going to look at that in a bit. But, you know, just to, to clue you in a little bit on it, you should see your sin. Your sinfulness, that no matter how good you think you are, no matter how good you think the things are that you've done, before a holy God, you're not good enough. And that's really good news because, as Jack Miller has said in the past, it has got this famous line, cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are. But God's grace is far greater than you ever imagined. So that we know, and I say this a lot, when you come to the Lord, sometimes you'll say, all right, you know, how do you get into heaven? What do you think happens? You say, you know, I stand before God after I die. And he says, why should I let you into heaven? What do you say? And what a lot of people think is, you know, there's a standard. And you have to be, you know, you better be above this to get in. And most people think, well, yeah, I'm probably, I'm about right here. I'm probably just barely good enough to get in. It's like, okay. But then what happens as a believer, you understand, it's like, I'm not good enough to get in. That without Jesus Christ... I can't, that's a, that's a gulf unbridgeable. There's no way to get in without Jesus Christ. So God says, why well, should I let you in? It's like, because of Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And so you're, you're there. And then as time goes on, you begin to recognize the fact that you thought you were here. It's like, and the world will quickly pounce upon you as a new believer, and just your flesh will do this, Satan will do this, where it's like, you're worse than you thought you were. It's like, okay, fair enough. And then another thing that you begin to realize is God's holiness is a little greater than you imagined. Okay, and then you start to recognize the fact that I have a lot of work to do. And a lot of people at this point, they see the distance getting bigger and they quit. Because I'm not good enough. God's too good. What am I doing here? I can't do it. And you've got to be careful of preaching that can come across as you better work harder, get better. Because that's just a recipe for death. And so... You begin to recognize, though, that you are even worse than you thought you were. And God's holiness is even greater than you thought it was. And this can continue the entire life of the Christian. The holiness of God being magnified more and more and more. And our depravity being recognized more and more and more. And so the distance between us and God increases. But what the believer and the Holy Spirit does in life is we see this distance increasing as we know that the cross of Christ is that much bigger. That the distance God had to come is that much greater. That what God has done is more magnificent than I thought he had to do this much. He had to do this much. And we don't even understand the depth, the heights of God with these things. So to be illuminated is to recognize our sinfulness, his holiness, and yet the love of God in Christ Jesus, what he has done to enable people like us, even us, to be able to live in his presence. And then the next thing we see here is there's a response to how we should be treating other people. So that, and there's a response to what happens in persecutions. Because this is what happened to this first church. This is what happened when this church that they're writing to here in Hebrews, when they first 
heard the Lord. These are Jewish Christians. They were, at the time, in synagogues. They were um, enjoying temple worship. And suddenly they are enlightened to the reality of Jesus Christ. And so probably what they do is go to the priests, go to... And a lot of these people were probably priests at one point. And they go and they say, I got to tell you about Jesus Christ. These sacrifices, we don't do these anymore. Jesus died. His blood, the final sacrifice. He's the great high priest. You know, I mean, how do you deal with being a, a new Christian believer in the Jewish non-Christian time when they're still worshiping according to the types and shadows instead of the reality in Christ and you're seeing it and you come to life with it and you just want to tell people and they they finally you know at first they were they were okay with it you know they're trying to figure out a way to get along and these sorts of things but eventually they said no uh, you guys, you're, you're out. And so they lived during a time of, um, I'm trusting my historians here, that um, he's probably referring to a period 15 years earlier than this letter during the Roman Emperor Claudius in A.D. 49 when um, they began to be recognized as a sect, not a part of an officially recognized uh, religion in a Roman territory. So you're out. And what does that mean when you're out? No protections. None. You lose everything. Um, there's a historian, Suetonius, that writes this about this time. It um, says, there were riots in the Jewish quarter at the instigation of Crestus, who is Christ. As a result, Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. So he begins, particularly these Christian Jews, uh, losing everything. And so we kind of have to ask ourselves, all right, are we enlightened? And if we're enlightened, what would that be like? But we have to understand that we are by nature in the dark. By nature in the dark. But this church has been here for a long time. This church has been here 80 years. So I want to, I want to do this this morning. So if you've been here in this church 80 years, please stand up. Don't let anybody stand up because I'd be lying. Nobody's been here 80 years now. It's um, Miss um, Ethel. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was going to say Miss Ethel. Her birthday is on the same day as the church's, you know, the 22nd, the actual day, and her birthday. And she was here the whole time. You know, every year she's here. It, uh, she's gone to be with the Lord in the church triumphant now. But her, her children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, Right? You guys are here. Raise your hands back there. Thank y'all for, aren't y'all? Ethel, Miss Ethel. Miss Cherry. All right, guys, listen to me. Miss Cherry, who I have a great, love the video where she's singing. What's she singing in that video? It's, um, that we did when she was singing the, in, um, Amazing Grace, I think is what it was. Yeah, but it's like, you know, in her, one of the wonderful things about older Christians when they, their minds maybe aren't as quick and stuff, but it's like scripture and, and hymns are still there as they sing and they sing and they sing. Yes, Miss Cherry, I apologize. But, um, yeah, so y'all raise your hands, please. Yeah, good to have y'all with us. <laughs> as the generation's gone. So nobody's been here 80 years. Anybody been here 70 years or more? All right, all right. We're, we're a young crowd these days. How about um, 60 years or more? Who's been here? And I don't mean that you've, maybe you left and you came back or something, but you've been here 60 years. Stand up if you've been here 60 years or more. So you, can you stand up? Are you able? 
You're not old enough. Neither are you old enough to have been here for that long. Really? That's awesome. But I mean, you see, you can go and come back. Yeah, I'm not saying that you stayed the entire time. Yeah, it's good. All right, so three of you guys, awesome. We can applaud. That's a long time to put up with a bunch of people. And then um, how about now, I won't ask you to stand again, but how about if you've been here, you know, 50 years? Or, okay, you guys stand up, if you don't mind. If we're, we're getting low enough. There you go. So, <laughs> and Jerry is an uh, elder emeritus. Are you back there? Okay. All right, so you can sit down, and then what if, you, what if you've only been here 40 years or less? 40, 40 or more. Four, between 40 and 50, I guess. There you go. <laughs> anyway, if you've been here between 30 and 40 years, I guess that's okay, I'm going 30 or so years. That long. Chris has been here. That, all right, good job, Chris. All right, now we should start to get more and more people saying, have it's been 20, up to 20 years, but you haven't stood up yet. 20 years. All right, here we go. Just one. All right, how about 10 years? You stand up too. May everybody else stand up. I'm up now with this one. All right. All right. How have you been? It's been five years and you haven't stood up yet. There we go. All right. So we'll sort of stop at that. I don't want to take anybody out or anything. It's good to have everybody. So here's another thing. All right. Even if you've stood up before, I want you to stand up again for this. Um, stand up if you have been in this church your entire life. Yeah, your entire life. So look at this. That's a generation right there. It's two generations. That's three generations, actually. Yeah, so that's awesome. Your entire life you have been here. <clears throat> that's a tremendous responsibility to have, and there will be more people that have been here. That, well, and if Mason and Karis were here, they've been here their entire lives. They missed the day. Yeah, I know. I saw you looking. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not saying they had to have perfect attendance their entire lives, but yeah, they're Karis and Mason also have been there here their entire lives. Um, so any children born while their parents are members here, think about it, their entire life. And so we need to be preparing these next generations for, for what's to come. If you've been here, you know, 80, 70, 60, 50, 40 plus years or more or less in there, I mean, that's, we know how different life was. You can imagine how different life was for, for Miss Cherry or for Miss Mildred, Miss Ruby, uh, Miss Ethel, all these different people who were, um, have gone before us. And so you think, well, what's the future going to look like? You know, and, and the future is happening a lot faster than it used to. Um, so we had to be prepared and we had to prepare our young people and we ourselves had to be prepared for what may be coming and the second thing we see in this passage is the idea of persecution persecution that that really can and really has happened in the past and if you look at what it says after this group they were enlightened they endured a hard struggle and sufferings and they endured a hard struggle with suffering, actually, is what it says. A hard struggle. And the word for struggle there is where we get our word athlete. It's um, athlacin. It's, it's not just a, a fight. It's a different word when you talk about a fight, the fight of faith or something. It's like two people fighting each other. But this is this, this idea of almost like a wrestling match type thing. The struggle is a good word for that. So they endured a struggle with suffering. Sometimes they were being publicly exposed. Now, the Greek word behind that is where we get our word theater. Publicly exposed. They were 
a public spectacle. Now they're getting being kicked out of their homes. They were losing everything. And we can see that, you know, maybe many of you, many of us, you live this life long, you're going to go through hard things. And then there's some people here, because it's so young, you haven't been through much hard stuff yet. And there's some people who are young and have gone through hard things. There are really hard things that happen in this life. But what if as soon as you got saved, the lights just came on? I mean, as soon as you got saved, all of a sudden you recognize this and you see this. And as soon as you get saved, Christians begin to be persecuted. I mean, it's pretty deep persecution. And you might even think, similar for somebody who's been worshiping for 30, 40, 50 years. You know, and at certain times in our country, it was to your benefit to be a member of a church. Business people would join churches so that they could make business connections. Um, at certain points in our history, if you weren't in church, you were sort of not looked highly upon in the community. So you needed to be a member of a good church, you know, the right church, so that you could have good standing in the community. Um, that's changed a great deal in our day, but there were times like that. So imagine living in a time like that or a time when you've just come to Christ and suddenly persecution happens. And you can come to Christ and just hard things happen. But I mean broad-scale persecution for being a Christian. And I mean real, real persecution. Houses taken. Gone. Because property is something that's granted to you by the state. state no longer protects you. They want that gone. This has happened in history not so long ago. My grandparents' history, different countries. You can see this. Even today, things happen. But if your bank account plundered, gone, because you're a Christian. Christians, we're trying to get rid of Christians. We don't like Christianity. We know what it stands for. We know what it is. We've decided it's illegal. We want it out. Your house is gone. Your bank account's gone. Your cars are taken. Your boats are taken. You can pack a bag, get what you want, Anything you can carry, but if you're going to continue to practice your Christian religion, you're going to have to be moved to this area. Leave while you can, they might say. And again, it has happened to these Christian Jews that this letter was originally written to. It happened to Jews in Germany. It's happening to Christians in China. And we believe that it can never happen here. Well, don't be arrogant to think that it can't. Um, it can, and it very well may. And so you're going to stick out. And that can be a good thing. Because we're called to be light. You can see light. If you can't see the light, then, you know, you're not very much of a light. You're supposed to stick out. It's one of the ways the, the salt influence, preserving influence on society is supposed to be helped by the presence of Christianity. So we're supposed to be working for that. We're supposed to be different. We're also supposed to be seeking to live quiet lives. And we're not out there trying intentionally to cause problems, to, to poke you know, the bear, whatever it may be, with the government or whatever, and just say, you know, here we are. And, you know, it's like <laughs> just, just trying to live a good life, just trying to be Christians, you know, trying to speak truth. That's a problem trying to stand up for what I believe in when it comes at me, or trying to defend other people, things like this, standing up for the gospel, standing up for Christ. The Bible says that all who um, believe in me and follow Christ will suffer persecution, so that's an interesting verse. But we're not going along with the world, because you are better than that. The world does not take kindly to people who do not follow, who do not 
bow the knee to its principles and to its ideologies, and so that's going to be trouble, and the world has a big megaphone and a big camera and some bright lights, and so we had to make sure that we understand the light of God is brighter and that he sees all things, and he's the one to whom we have to give an account, and we had to recognize the fact that the world needs you. Your family needs you. Your family needs you to be faithful. Your family needs you to live what you believe to be true as Christians, to pray for them, to continue to um, encourage them, and to continue to point out when they're not living life as they ought, when they need to be told, I love you, and I love you too much not to say something. But then make sure you're not, you know, the guy with the big board in his eye, and you're trying to mess with somebody's, you know, specs, that you yourself, you know, clean up your own house before you start criticizing the world. So, you know, but you also understand grace. I've had to tell my children one time, who I think Sinjana was saying something to me, she was doing something wrong, and I said something about not doing it, and she said, well, you did it when you were my age. I don't know how she knows that. I probably told her. And uh, I said, well, I'm not your standard of righteousness. And that's true. You are not somebody else's standard of righteousness. Jesus Christ is a standard of righteousness, and what you are is a person that recognizes the need to try to attain to that standard by understanding grace, understanding that mercy, that I plead to Jesus Christ so much every day for mercy and grace and forgiveness that I have to give it to other people. And that when you see other people who are living in sin and they're hurting themselves, especially as parents, you have responsibility to parent, you have responsibility to discipline, but you do it in such a way that they understand grace and mercy and love. It's hard to do because the world will not tell you how to properly do that. It's only in Christ that you can get to that point. Confessing your sins one to another. Parent confessing sins to a child. In the need that you may have, there are times when a parent is going to sin against their children. You're going to be too angry. You're going to be too rough. You're going to make bad decisions. You just have to say, I'm sorry. I blew it. Will you forgive me? You, you model that sort of lifestyle. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing. But the world does need Christians to be Christians. And I'm not going to explain this reference, but if you know it, you get it. We are hobbits. We have been sheltered in this country. We have been left alone for a long time. But we are not weak. We just don't yet know our strength because we haven't really had to exhibit it. And what happens when you don't have to use strength for a while is it begins to lessen, but we are stronger than we know, and I'm talking about our faith. But when our faith begins to be tried through persecution or trials, there's lots of things that just happen in life that try your faith. But this church is dealing with some serious outside persecution just for being Christians. Are you willing to stand for that? Are you willing to be put on public display? They had not yet suffered to the point of shedding blood, we're told in Hebrews. But that's a coming for them. It does happen. And what if it happens to us? Are we willing to that point to take our stand and say, where else have I to go? Am I so convinced that this life is not all there is that I will be like these guys? I mean, listen to what they did. Verse 33, they were sometimes publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes partners 
with those who were so treated. And that's that word koinonia. We see a lot of that fellowship, that closeness. In other words, they saw people who were getting this. They saw people who were being persecuted. They saw people who, because of their faith, were losing their things and being publicly ridiculed. And these believers went out and locked arms with them and said, I'm with you. I'm with them, not you. And they, you, know, you open yourself up to these things. So what if there's a group of Christians who are being persecuted because they've been a little too out there and we who've been back a little bit see it happening. I mean, just because they're Christians, are we going to be willing to say, wait a second, <laughs> I'm, in it. I'm one of them too. And Peter couldn't do it with Jesus. He denies him three times and then Jesus lovingly restores him. But it said a lot about Peter's faith, and that's what Peter needed to see was his weakness. Not how strong he said he was, but how weak he really is in times of trial. That he really needs Jesus Christ in a certain amount of humility. And we have to have that as well. But in verse 34, you had compassion on those in prison. Now those are people who are in prison. I'm not saying you don't have compassion for people in prison, but these were people in prison for their faith. They were Christians. And this word is uh, where we get the word sympathy from. And sympathy, we kind of meet today, that kind of means, oh, I feel so sorry for you. And it doesn't mean talking about feeling, to, be a, to feel sorry for somebody. It means to feel their sorrow with them. And that's a different, that's what sympathy, sympathic, to, to feel what they feel with them. And that's hard to do sometimes. We can say, I don't know what you're going through. And you don't sometimes. But sometimes we do. But you had compassion. You had light feelings. You tried to put yourself in their place and thought, what would it be like for me? And you kind of got it. And then they went. And back in these days, when you were in prison, if you didn't have people coming to you and bringing you food and bringing you clothes and taking care of you, you didn't have anything. So that was, it's not like, you know, I mean, living in a prison today is vastly greater than living in a lot of places free for a lot of the times in our world. But during a time when they just threw you in there and then people had to come and bring you stuff, and who's bringing these Christian stuff? Ah, look, more Christians. You're going to risk that? And they did. And they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. How do you do that? I mean, because all the things we've seen lately are people you know, either hiding from people trying to burn their property out there in front with guns to protect their property. And there may be times when those things are right under certain situations, but this is a situation in which the government has gone so far that there's no protection for you. You can pull a gun out if you want to. You can stand there and do what you want to do. You're just going to be shot and killed. You know, this is not going to go well for you. But because you're a Christian, everything's gone. You don't have any money. You're not going to be able to pay your rent because they're just shutting it down. Imagine how easy that is today. It's all digital for the most part anyway. And you don't have anything. And so when they sat and they watched, when the Christians saw this happening because they were believing in Christ, they were like, <laughs> do it. I mean, it wasn't like they could petition. not like they said, oh, that's fine. I'm not going to worry about it. There was nothing they could do about it. Okay, get that in your head first. There's not a thing they could do about it. Okay, so it's not like he's saying if somebody tries to steal your property, it's not right to appeal to the law or something. But the law, they were doing this legally. And so the Christians saw it happening. Somehow, because of their faith, they're like, 
I'd rather have Jesus and not that stuff than that stuff and not have Jesus. I mean, this is faith. They're, they're, they're in persecution. They understand what's happening. They're not abandoning Jesus Christ, even because of these things. But they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property since they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. So therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And this is the third final part. You know, how you endure suffering and how you suffer with others who are suffering in persecution. But finally, it's the need for endurance. The, the Christian life is a marathon, not a, a sprint, as you might say. We think the Christian life is, you know, I got saved, everything's supposed to go better now. Great. Well, <laughs> you know, welcome to the world, okay? It's not going to be that way. There's going to be things that are better, but things are still going to happen, and you're going to have to go through it with Christ. You're going to have to figure out how do we make it through these things. And it's with endurance. As he's already told us before, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's a habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And this day approaching for them was probably when the, the, the whole temple worship was going to be um, destroyed. And there's going to be Nero persecuting people. There's going to be severe persecution. And for us, there's going to be a day when Christ comes. Or there's going to be a day when there's severe hard, difficult trial. You don't need to have sacrificed or forsaken the assembling of yourselves together, and we need to be encouraging one another all the more, all the more. The darker it gets, the more we encourage one another, and the more you need it, the more you need to be encouraging, and the more you need to allow people to encourage you. But that takes one anothering and being in this together. Because endurance... Takes. I mean, if you see these marathons, see these runners, there's people inside cheering them on, you know, holding water out, things like that. That needs to be us running with them, not on the sidelines cheering people on, but as we're doing that, we're running together this race that is this great marathon that we're, that we're in. And so as we see this, and we're called to endurance, he even tells us the ways in which we are to endure. And look what he says. Don't throw away your confidence. Okay? You, you've done this before. He says, look in the past at how you did this. So we've all had things in our past. If you've been a Christian long enough, how God has been there. But you have to know the confidence that we have is in Christ Jesus. He said in 36, you have need of endurance. You have need of it. And don't we? I mean, that's what you want is, I would need to endure. I need endurance. I need to be able to get through it. A lot of times we say, I need patience. And that's true. And we'll say, you know, the patience of Job. Well, Job's patience ran out. Job's patience came to an end. Job's patience was it. And then God speaks to him and says, who are you, O man, to argue back to God? And he says, I repent. I uttered things I did not know. So there is a limit to the things that we're able to endure, but you need endurance so that you can continue to do the things that God has called us to do in this world. And he says, you have need of it. So you have to encourage one another, and we have to ask one another for this, and we pray for the Holy Spirit. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, future, heaven, these things. And then he quotes Habakkuk. And that's what these, this quote is. For a little while, Habakkuk's complaining to God because the people 
There's no justice. Justice is being perverted. The righteous are being persecuted. There's just terrible things happening in land. Habakkuk is like, oh Lord, where are you? How do you let this happen? And then part of the answer is this. Yet a little while and the coming one will come and not delay. So he's telling Habakkuk, we're going to take care of this. He says, but my righteous ones, the ones you're complaining for and who you're yourself being, you're going to live by faith, not by sight. You're going to see a lot of things happening, but you're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And if he shrinks back, then my soul takes no pleasure in him. And so we have to be of those who stand strong, who, who move forward, and who endure. And a lot of the church doesn't preach this. A lot of the church is preaching there's no need for endurance because God's going to bless you with all these good things. And it's like, well, what about Christians all over the world that don't have this stuff? Or they don't have enough faith? And just one of the things I learned in Haiti, it's like, man, the endurance of these people. You know, not only do you have nothing, but they also, what they do have are persecutions. I mean, there are families who come to Christ, and because voodoo worship is so great, there are a lot of families are just, you're gone. You lose all your family. You're, you're gone. And so they've lost everything. Then a hurricane comes, and they lose what they did have. And then they get it all back. There's an earthquake, and the buildings fall down. Then another hurricane. And then there's a global worldwide pandemic. And then there's the response to the pandemic. Stay inside. Don't go out. Well, how am I supposed to eat? Well, you can't, so you're going to die of starvation. It's awful. And then they call, and they'll send me, not all of Haiti, but certain pastors there and people I know there, and like, how are you? How's your church? How are you doing? I'm good. And he had to plot it out of them. I said, how are you doing? And they'll say, well, it's bad here. It's bad here. But by the grace of God, we're doing good. How are you? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's the faith is... is it's an interesting thing because they have, they have, their theology isn't as developed, but their relationship is more, more deep. So they recognize right theology when they hear it because they know it corresponds to the God that they already know. And that's how we have to be. And that, a lot of that's only going to happen through hardships. And it's not necessarily so, you know, if the country goes on and becomes very friendly to Christianity, God bless, it'll be awesome. But it's only going to be through persecutions and trials that you're actually going to go deeper in your faith. And so we had to pray for the grace to grow deeper when there's good things happening. That when we're being graced with lots of blessings, that with Paul we can say, I've learned the secret of all things, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you can see when you think you're doing all things through your job or through your work or through your family or through something like that and not through Christ. When you lose everything else, all you have is seeing Christ that's strengthening you. So that's, we need to be prepared for that. And so I'm going to let Peter preach the, the closing of this. First Peter chapter 1 as he says at the beginning is this First Peter 1 1 it is Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles into dispersion have been dispersed because of their faith in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all over the place, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the gospel he's preaching. Two, you're being called to an inheritance 
that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith. There's something for you, but right now you're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, now he's going to give us a reason for this as believers, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, you don't see somebody's faith that's true, let them go through suffering. Let them go through suffering. A brand new Christian comes in, they're excited, they've quit this, they've quit that, they're living their lives better, and then I'll say, that's great, you're going to have trials, you're going to have some problems that are going to come up, you're going to have to stay strong, you need to get involved in church, you're going to have to be ready when these things happen, and then they don't because they think they've got it all together, and then something happens and they're done with it. And then the way they do, then they are able to just blame themselves and go down, 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 down. So we don't do new believers any, we do them a great disservice when we tell them life is going to be great from this point forward. But these things happen that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that, in, that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." There is more delight to life than this. And then back in Hebrews at the end, verse 39, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith grabs hold to something that is real and substantive, and then that faith is evidence of this stuff, because why do I have it? And it's not just faith in anything. You can have, you're falling down a hill, you can have faith in that branch to save you, and you can grab it with all of your might, but if it's just in sand, you're going down. But if you have faith in a, in a branch, and it happens to be firm and strong and planted in a rock, and you grab it, it holds, not because of your faith, but because of what it is. But if not for your faith, you would never grab it. And God gives us this faith to reach and to hold, and he is strong and anchor in the heaven holding on to us tightly and firmly. So he tells us that we need endurance. Now, this church has been here 80 years. There's people who have come and there's people who have gone. There's people who have been members that are worshiping in heaven and people who have been members and they've probably heard, uh, depart from me, you work over in righteousness, I've never known you. We have to bring up our children. We have to bring up the young people. We have to bring up each other. We have to teach, and we have to raise people up in the knowledge of God because faith is what will get us through whatever comes next. Only our faith is what will get us through. Don't neglect to pray for your children, to teach your children, to be an example of Christ-likeness before your children, and to be humble and merciful and ask for forgiveness when you fail and then cling to these things for yourself. These are necessary. Endurance is called for. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our faith. We thank you for these things. We know that 
there are two ways that we look at life. Sometimes it's, what's the worst that can happen? And then we do what it takes to stop that from happening. Other times we might think, well, what's the best that could happen? And then we work to make that happen. But help us to remember when we think, well, what's the worst that could happen? Maybe it's persecution or war or famine or disease. If we change our minds and we say, well, what's the best that could happen? And we might think, well, prosperity and ease and health and comfort. But then help us to see the problem in that. Because the worst that can happen is a loss of faith. The worst that can happen is abandoning Jesus Christ. The worst that can happen is that we walk away from the church. We walk away from you. So it may be that persecution, war, famine, and disease are things you use to bring us back. It may be that prosperity, ease, health, and comfort are even used. It's the gospel. In the midst of these things, help us not to live by sight, but by faith. And we pray that what we would seek for our children even growing up, for 80 years from now, that we wouldn't just have a church full of kids who are successful with business or even successful um, different things they do in the community, but that we'd see kids growing up with great faith, with a missionary zeal, maybe even missionaries themselves, that they'd be helping to make the world a better and, and a brighter place. So, Lord, help this place to be a place where faith grows because faith is what is needed, and it has to be faith in you. Thank you for these things. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.